It's my pleasure to welcome you here to the Clark Howard Show, where it's all about you and that wallet of yours. And I want to tell you, in the crush people's wallets of coronavirus, we are getting increasingly agitated uh, questions and upset people posting at clark.com slash ask. And I understand. I mean, this is clearly a situation that snuck up on us and ate so many people's wallets alive. And my pledge to you is I'm going to do the best I can each day answering your questions and, as I can, relieving some of the anxiety you feel. I want to talk about that more later in this show. But I wanted to start with something that is good news out of nowhere, right? Because a lot of this has been out of nowhere. Auto insurers are making money hand over fist because people aren't driving like normal. You may wonder how much driving is down around the country as people are under various forms of shelter in place in most of the United States, I think in 42 of the 50 states. And driving is down about 40%. So I'm surprised uh, some places in the country it's down a lot more than that. Surprised it's not overall down more than 40. But the reality is, with so far fewer vehicles on the road, the accident rates have collapsed. So auto insurers are voluntarily, in some cases, before being ordered by state regulators, to refund a portion of people's auto insurance premiums. Of the bigs, Allstate was first. And then you're going to see a number of smaller players do so. The first that I heard of in the country is one that's big in the Midwest called American Family, and they are giving people $50 back per car you insure with them. Allstate is giving people 15% of the premium dollars collected for March, for April and May, and others are going to come up with their own formulas, but you're going to see money show up a number of different ways. Could be direct deposit back in your account could be a check back to you, could be a credit towards future premiums, but auto insurers are doing a really smart thing now, being there to help while their insureds really need it, and it's going to give people a positive feeling towards their auto insurers. So one bit of good news is I go into two pieces of very difficult news. The payroll protection plan that started Friday and then starts later this week for people who are self-employed independent contractors, the payroll protection plan is off to a very, very, very rough start. The banks, particularly the big ones, have been very hostile to this program and uncooperative to date. Smaller community banks have been very interested in helping people but are overwhelmed by the number of people applying. So the as I said in expression last week, I said the cavalry hadn't even mounted its horses yet. They're on their horses now and they're coming over the hill, but they're not quite there to save your wallet. And it is going to happen roughly. It's not going to be a smooth process at all. 
and it's going to require persistence on your part as a business owner to get payroll protection plan money. There is a new, much clearer, much more comprehensive guide at SBA.gov that went live over the weekend where you'll be able to see the particulars of each program. But what happens is you file an application with the bank or credit union that you find that is willing to work with you. And you file that application that takes about six to eight minutes to fill out. Very, very, very streamlined, simplified application. Then you go into a queue with the bank or credit union when they will at some point respond back to you and say, okay, these are the supporting documents we need. This is the proof we need of your payroll, various aspects of your money that they will need from you, you know, what you've spent for different things in 2019 in particular, and they'll let you know what documentation they want. The documentation itself is very streamlined. And for those who use the big payroll services, the payroll services themselves are getting deluged with requests for documentation from the people they do payroll processing for. And so the payroll services are putting up special portals where you can go get the exact documentation that you need for an application for the payroll protection plan. As an example, the second biggest payroll provider, Paychex, sent out an email today to the people who process payroll through Paychex saying that they now had all the data available for you and uh, it says to assist with the reports that all of our businesses need to successfully and accurately apply for the SBA loan. Paychex has created a direct report in Flex. That's their database for people who use Paychex for payroll. That will include everything you need to apply. So on Friday, we obviously had chaos with people applying for this. And here on Monday, we already have a pivot where organizations that can support your business are helping you with that documentation you're going to need once your time comes up in the queue for your bank or credit union that you're hoping to process your application. The good news, once your application processes, money should be available within 12 to 72 hours for your business. Remember, the amount of money you can apply for is two and a half times your monthly payroll based on a formula. It's a fair, pretty simple formula for you to be able to do so. Now let's move to the other big um, roadblock in place for people to get money, and that is unemployment compensation. The unemployment compensation that Congress passed two weeks ago is kind of in suspended animation. States are still waiting for final instructions from the U.S. Department of Labor to implement the new rules, temporary COVID-19 rules for unemployment, which is where you get four months of $600 a week in 
overlay compensation on top of what you're eligible for from your state. Then your state rules are overridden as well for who is eligible for unemployment compensation from the state. And so for pretty much the first time ever, people who are in non-traditional forms of work is independent contractors, self-employed and gig workers are eligible for the $600 plus typically in most states it will be a reduced amount of unemployment. In addition, unemployment will go on an additional 13 weeks. So you hear me say will, will, will because the states can't, can't, can't right now process the number of people applying. People need money now. Unfortunately, it's not coming now. It's going to take a while for the 10, 20 million people, whatever number it is, 30 million, who, because stats can't keep up with how many people suddenly have found themselves unemployed. It's going to take a while for all those people to go through the state unemployment process funnel for the money to start flowing. The money is retroactive once the state gets you processed. The problem is, what do you do for money today? And I'm going to stop there and go to your questions, again, that you post for me at clark.com ask. Kim, who you got first? All right, up first is Eric. Eric says that he's a physician for a large company, and due to their decreased work volume, he says that nearly everything right now, um, all outpatient care not related to the pandemic has completely stopped. So due to the decreased work volume, they've had salaries cut, they've had bonuses delayed, and he knows that other companies are laying people off, so he feels fortunate, but he's had to work much longer hours in a COVID-rich environment. And he moved out of his own home to try to protect his family and not bring COVID into their house. So he did that at his own personal expense. And now he's just found out that his wife's hours are being cut. So he basically wants to know when you work for a very large company like his, is there any help that's on the way? So the only potential help, and, I, and I'm really sorry about the disruption in your family's life, both of you, you, you and your wife suffering, you not being able to be with your family right now. I mean, that's a lot all at once in just the last couple of weeks. You may be under the new revised rules for unemployment, even though you're still employed because you've suffered a pay cut, you may depending on the final regulations from the U.S. Department of Labor, be eligible for partial unemployment compensation while you're still working. This is an unusual situation. The law passed by Congress looked into this as one of the elements that they want the U.S. Department of Labor to address. And so we have to await the regulations to know if there actually will be compensation for you because of the pay reduction you have suffered, your wife being laid off, if that's how this plays out, she will be eligible for unemployment compensation, both the $600 a week federal overlay plus what she'd be eligible for under her state guidelines. Joel? Clark Microdenny says, a while ago you mentioned Series I savings bonds. Are those still a good idea, and how would someone go about purchasing those? 
So if you go to savingsbonds.gov, you can buy Series I's, and it's a bit of a guess right now on whether Series I's are a good decision. You can buy $5,000 worth, and the reason people are gravitating to Series I's is you get a base rate of interest plus the rate of inflation in the economy. There are a small number of economists, but a significant enough number, who believe that the amount of money that the federal government is printing, essentially, to deal with the various stimulus laws will lead to a wave of inflation. If they are right, being in Series I savings bonds will turn out to be a very smart decision. If they turn out to be wrong and we don't have any meaningful inflation going forward, no harm, no foul, you can sell the Series I savings bonds after you've held them for a year and say, ah, well, that didn't really work out. And you go on from there with how you would put money aside in savings. But I think that it is a reasonable strategy to use right now if you do worry that inflation is part of the picture going forward. I own some Series I bonds that I bought forever ago, and I'm keeping them the full 30 years as one part of the puzzle for me and how I deal with the potential for inflation that so far has not been any meaningful threat at all, but at some point could be. So we continue to take your questions that you post for me at clark.com slash ask. Kim is up with the question. That's right. This is from Andy. What advice do you give surrounding alimony? The cash flow through my business is between 20 and 25% of normal. Nonetheless, I have an alimony obligation that is bound legally. What is the conventional wisdom for this effort to not engage in a, in a legal battle in the future? That is a great question. Part depends on your relationship with your ex-spouse. If you're on generally decent terms with your ex-spouse, contact your ex-spouse and say, here's the situation. I, like so many other people, have had my income devastated. Can we have a temporary reduction that we agree to in the alimony. That's the easiest path of least resistance in a situation where uh, people are not hostile to each other who were formerly married. In a case where that's going to be a no-go, then the normal procedure is you have to petition the court for a reduction in the amount of alimony that you're paying because of a great change in your income. I mean, this is, this is a complicated and difficult process that varies by state as divorce laws and how alimony and child support work vary by state. And if, you're, if you can afford to make the phone call, you call the lawyer who handled your divorce, lay out for him or her the circumstance of the great reduction in your income, and ask what legal options may be available to you. But all of that is much more difficult than if you have a civil relationship with your former spouse and you can talk with your former spouse. That's the best path and possible best way to hit the point of least resistance at getting at least a temporary reduction in what you have to pay. Joel? 
Clark Alley writes in, she says, my auto lender is offering payment deferrals with no late fees other than accruing interest. Should I take this offer? And if I do, will it affect my credit score? So it's up to the lender if it's going to affect your credit score. What I've been advising is that if you do receive an accommodation on an existing loan, like an auto loan, that you need to see either at the lender's website or it needs to be best done in a chat where they say, no, we're not going to report you as delinquent to the credit bureau. You need that in writing somewhere so that you have the ability later, if they do report you delinquent, to use that as documentation with the credit bureaus to try to get the negative marks removed from your credit. But without any assurance of that, yes, the lender could report you as delinquent, even though you did what they agreed to with you. Glad you're with us here on the Clark Howard Show, where it's all about you and that wallet of yours. As we continue to answer your questions, as you try to make sure you got enough money to get by moving forward, Clark.com and ClarkDeals.com are helping you stretch every dollar right now. And speaking of dollars, people want their $1,200 that Congress promised for the stimulus, but there are a number of people who were not in line to receive that money because you made too little money in 2019 and 2018 to have filed a tax return in either of those years, which is key to you getting the $1,200 check. So over the weekend, the U.S. Treasury reached a deal with TurboTax where you can go to TurboTax.com and you got to hunt around because it wasn't easy to find it on TurboTax. But you go to TurboTax and you file a free return, put in $1 of income for a year. You know, if you had no income, you had to report, put in $1. They will load it in, take that information, load it in the IRS system. Then you're registered. And that's how someone who would be below the radar will get the $1,200 stimulus check. So if you're a Social Security recipient, you don't have to do this. There was a workaround figured out for that on Thursday. But if you don't receive Social Security and you have not historically had to file a return and you want to make sure you get the $1,200, this is how you do it. Again, you go to TurboTax.com and put in the search box stimulus check, I guess, would be the best thing. I, it took me, I found it three different ways searching around, but they all required more work than they should have. And you fill out the brief, brief, brief form, takes just a couple of minutes, maybe three minutes, and then you'll be in the IRS system to get your money. Speaking of getting your money, if the IRS has direct deposit information on you, the money will start showing up later in the month of April. On the other hand, if the IRS has to mail a check, it was just a briefing for members of Congress where the IRS said the checks would take all summer into early fall to mail checks to everybody, which is certainly not the intent Congress had for the program. Now, speaking of summer into early fall, I'm seeing more and more fear from people that the economy is going into a dark hole and it's going to last forever. 
And I want to tell you that that is not the case. It's not how this is going to play. Um, you can see something that that is so confusing. If you're sitting there, you've suddenly become unemployed. You're worried how you're going to pay rent, mortgage, buy food, and all the rest. Why, oh, why is the stock market going up? Because the stock market is a forward-looking indicator, and investors believe that even though the current effect of coronavirus is hideous, economic activity down roughly somewhere around 30%, massive unemployment right now, that the effects of coronavirus on the economy being hideous will be relatively short-lived. And this is based on a number of suppositions, and I want to tell you what those are. First, that the shelter-in-place going on in much of the country is reducing the number of people being exposed and being infected by coronavirus. What has been talked about for weeks is flattening the curve, and that seems to be happening. So that is really important. But the second phase, and the shelter-in-place only works if we get the second phase right, and that is you read what economists say and you read what um, public health experts say. We must, we must come up with an organized testing regimen so that people are tested who might be positive, people are tested who may in fact have antibodies, that people are in fact put in a position where we know what we're facing. And once we come to a system with thorough testing, then it becomes much easier once we crush this initial wave of coronavirus with the frightful loss of life we're suffering. But once we crush this, the economy comes out of hibernation. It doesn't come roaring back because think about the things that people are going to have to regain confidence to do. Going to sporting events, going to concerts, uh, potentially going out to eat and sit down in a restaurant, traveling by air, going on a cruise, going to conventions, a lot of activities that involve a great number of people in close proximity to each other, that's going to await us having a credible path of treatment. But that path of treatment is not years away. It is measured in months away. And then we're at a point where we have disease management, and that's when the economy can resume not the strength that it had leading into coronavirus, but at least resume to steadily start coming back to life in a way that we eliminate this massive wave of unemployment. So we're in shock therapy right now, but shock therapy only is effective if we have a protocol moving forward for testing, isolation of those that test positive, and treatment priorities generally divided, depending on whose modeling you have the most faith in, dividing people into four categories or people into five categories based on a positive diagnosis of coronavirus 
and then what level of symptoms they're having. We get that part right, and the economy can resume functioning rather than being asleep. And Kim, what do you have for me right now? The question. This is these are questions people are posting at Clark.com slash ask. Right on. Well, before I get to Christopher's question, one thing that continually comes in, um, you mentioned what TurboTax is doing. People are still saying that they are hearing that this stimulus is going to come out of their 2020 taxes. And I know you've said that's not true, right? That is not true. And one of the odd things about 2020 taxes is that not only will this not be a taxable event, the 1200 per person and if you meet the right criteria, $500 per child up to age 16, is that if you in 2020 end up this year with an income collapse where you would not have been eligible for the stimulus based on your 2019 or 2018 tax return, that you then will retroactively get this money later. Not when it would have really helped in the minute, but you'll still get the money later. Right on. Thank you for saying that out loud again. All right. This is from Christopher. Clark, thank you so much for all you do, especially in this turbulent time. I was wondering what your opinion is of the fate of the U.S. Postal Service. I've been reading stories that because of coronavirus, it could shut down by June. Is this realistic? The Postal Service was broke before coronavirus. And in order for the Postal Service, which is not, it's a it's a Frankenstein in that it's not truly a private organization and no longer truly a traditional federal function, but Congress dictates the way it operates. Congress is going to be forced in the fourth stimulus bill, whenever that comes about, to provide funding necessary for the Postal Service to continue deliveries. And I hope springs eternal for me. I know it's unpopular with people, but I hope that's also the time at which we scale back the number of days that physical mail is delivered to people because the way people communicate today, six-day-a-week mail delivery is no longer necessary, and we would probably be fine with alternating three-day delivery depending on your address, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, or Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, and that's one of the reforms that should come out of any bailout of the Postal Service. Joel? Clark Ashley wrote in. She says, I've seen the information about BP offering 50 cents a gallon discount to first responders, healthcare workers during the coronavirus pandemic. My husband is a firefighter, so I told him about this, and he went to get his code for the discount. But they're requiring verification through this website, which requires all of our personal information, including his full social security number. I read your article regarding social security numbers, and I tried to use a dummy number, and it didn't work. Yeah, dummy number won't work for this. So you have to decide, is the trade-off worth it? Is it worth it for you? And by the way, before I go on, I just want to express my gratitude to all the businesses that are stepping forward in a very tough time and helping out first responders, and medical personnel because these people are putting their lives on the line, on the front line, and having some kind of direct monetary appreciation is nice. So having said that, 
you have to decide, is it worth it to breach your personal information in this way to receive the 50 cents a gallon? And I'll let you make your own call on that. You know, I always talk about the possibility of your personal information coming back to harm you when you put it somewhere versus the absolute certainty that by giving that information you save money. This is one of those things and you've got to make that 50 cent a gallon call. And before I go to you, Kim, with another question, I wanted to say I did not, in the statement I just made, mean to ignore people that are working in grocery stores, pharmacies, and the general merchandise retailers and warehouse clubs, people working in warehouses, people working in logistics. There are so many people that are making sure that we can still eat, that we still have the supplies we need, and they are also putting themselves at risk by doing those jobs. Kim? 100%. All right. This is from Casey. Casey says, given these times at Miss COVID-19 pandemic, what are regular people to do regarding rental payments? There are many people like myself who were laid off due to the virus. Can landlords and apartment complexes evict folks whose backs are against the wall? First of all, this is an extremely difficult circumstance for both landlords and for tenants. A lot of rentals that we rent, we rent from small landlords, not from big impersonal private equity firms or big real estate investment trusts. Everybody's getting crushed by this. Landlords have, as a general rule, not been very accommodating to people. Uh, some have been downright cold with the communications they've sent to tenants. In many jurisdictions around the state, uh, the country, you cannot be evicted right now. It doesn't mean that when coronavirus is over, you can't be evicted. But right now, you can't be. A huge number of landlords also, regardless of where you live in the country, have loans backed by certain federal agencies. And those federal agencies have said that the landlords are prohibited from doing evictions. It doesn't mean they can't come after you for the money. It doesn't mean that later, once the coronavirus emergency lifts evict you at that time but what i'm recommending to any tenant is communicate to your landlord early tell your landlord you cannot pay right now and wait for the landlord's response even if the landlord says you know life's terrible and then you die kind of response you know a, a cold calculating um kind of response the reality is they may be bluffing because odds favor that you live in a state or a local jurisdiction where even if you can't pay, you cannot be evicted. What I'm recommending is that you do whatever search engine you use, Google, DuckDuckGo, Bing, whatever search engine you use, go in and put in a search on evictions, coronavirus, and then your local city, county, or state, or try a search under each, and see what's posted about prohibitions against evictions right now. Joel? Clark Billy said, I'm being laid off due to the COVID-19 pandemic, and I was looking into the early distribution of an old employer-provided uh, plan 
uh, retirement plan that was with Vanguard. But when I called to ask about the waiver of the 10% penalty, they said that this plan was not included in that. But every article I've read says something along the lines of temporary waiver of 10% for uh, of 10% penalty for qualified retirement plans. So what exactly is a qualified retirement plan? In this case, a qualified retirement plan, first of all, I'm sorry about your financial circumstances, but a qualified retirement plan, as I have read, is 401k and IRA and 403b, that other plans were not stated in the statute. And more information may come out about that at a later time, but that's the limit of the plans that I've seen that qualify for a waiver of a 10% penalty. And Joel, I ask that this individual post again exactly what kind of qualified retirement plan that he had, and I'll look to see if there's information specifically about that type. If you have a question for me right now about your wallet, please go to clark.com slash ask. And producers Kim and Joel are asking your questions right now rather than you being on the show with me. And Kim, who do you have a question from? This is from a gentleman also named Clark. And Clark says, we don't need, Hi, the, Clark. Go- <laughs> we don't need the government's $2,400 bailout. I'd rather go to someone who needs it. What do we do? Give it to another individual since it's tax-free money. Give it to somebody else you know who really needs it in your family or your neighborhood or a friend. Give it to a charity that you trust. Give it to one of the big national charities if you don't have a specific charity that you have faith in. So simply, if it's money you don't need and you're solid on your feet, make that money useful in some way where you know there's going to be a direct benefit for someone who is suffering from the fallout of coronavirus. So however that would work in your life, that's what I would do with it. The podcast normally would end here, but because of the unusual circumstances we're in, we have additional content that we recorded earlier today that I'd like you to have access to And this will continue day by day as long as the events warrant. There are so many people stepping up to the plate who are doing what they can to help their customers with the difficulties that people are facing financially because of coronavirus. And I want to first mention Mint Mobile, M-I-N-T Mobile. A lot of our listeners use Mint Mobile, which is a very, very low-cost cell phone company and they are offering all their customers unlimited data through mid-may you know usually with mint you get these really cheap plans but it's metered data where you get you choose how much data you're going to buy and you get only that amount per monthly cycle and now to help people particularly think about people who don't have a home internet connection they got kids who got to do homework you might have to do work work and having access to unlimited data is very valuable and it's something that they didn't have to do but they did and AT&T and Cricket both have done an imitation temporarily of the new T-Mobile $15 a month rate plan where for 15 a month you got unlimited talk unlimited text and two gigabytes of data a month 
Now, two gigabytes is a pretty tight cap, but with a lot of people who do have a home internet connection and are sheltering in place using very little cellular data, lowering yourself to 15 a month and staying within the two gig cap is a fantastic way for you to save money. And then uh, Comcast with its Xfinity, for people who, Comcast has these really ugly data caps on your home internet connection, and you have to pay a surcharge to be exempted from the massive surcharges, uh, massive fees for going over your monthly data. And Comcast is giving refunds to people since all customers right now have unlimited data without the ugly overage junk fees. And so they didn't have to, but they're giving people money back each month who were paying the surcharge. Uh, in addition, another piece of good news, compliments of David Lazarus at the Los Angeles Times, new report that robocalls are significantly down because so much of the world is in shelter in place. The crooks involved with doing robocalls can't get to work to make their robocalls. So of all things to be a positive effect, that one is really weird, but we sure will take it. And the robocallers are clever. They're like um, locusts, and they will figure their way back into trying to steal money from you and be very wary answering any phone call that is not from someone you recognize to avoid the scourge of the robocallers. And here's something else I wanted to talk about today. Now, I told you last week that people were looking to buy life insurance in numbers that hadn't been seen in forever. And I've had a number of questions from people about buying life insurance. Some insurers afraid to write life insurance right now, but most issuing policies as normal. And that's about people suddenly fearing their mortality. So the other thing that people are trying to do right now in numbers that are unprecedented is get a will done. And there are so many people with young children in the house, or maybe you got money, but you've not gotten around to doing a will because somehow you decided you were immortal, and now suddenly you realize, oh, maybe I'm not immortal. So how do you do a will when maybe lawyers are not available to help you right now? Or maybe you have a simple situation and you don't feel like you can afford to hire a lawyer. Well, let me tell you who would not have a simple situation. Blended families with minor children, that's not going to be a simple situation. If you own your own business, that would not be a simple situation. If you have um, adult children who don't get along and you got money, that's not a simple situation. Those are all cases where clearly you would want to have a lawyer prepare a will for you. Uh, in this case, a lawyer would be doing so with you, virtually meeting with you, instead of meeting with you in person. 
But I also want you to know that if you have a situation that would be one that you would consider more simple, you can buy a comprehensive kit right now from NOLO, N-O-L-O dot com. And the kits are available at 30% off right now. Promo code you have to use is NOLO20, N-O-L-O-20. The comprehensive kit they offer is 89 bucks, and you can download it to a Windows or a Mac. Chromebook users are out of luck on this. But it allows you to do not just your will, but a healthcare directive, a durable power for your finances, documents for the person you name as your executor. Um, you can say what you want your final arrangements to be. There's a document for that. You can do uh, letters in it that would go to your kids or your spouse or significant other if you want to. It's a very, very comprehensive kit. It also has a section for you to organize your financial records so that you're able to put that together. The thing is called thing. It's called Willmaker and Trust 2020. Now, let me give you a word of caution. This gives you the ability in the software to set up your own trust arrangements. But trust arrangements are very complicated documents. And doing one self-help is not something that I would recommend to you. I can't, I'm not a lawyer, but I can't imagine any lawyer would say, oh, yeah, just draw your own trust. Wouldn't do that. But for all these other things, it would be a good way for you to provide protection for your family. With any will program, though, if you get in and you don't know what you're doing, you don't understand it, stop and hire a lawyer. You're listening to The Clark Howard Show. Thanks for joining us today. The Clark Howard Show is produced by Kim Drobes, Joel Larsgaard, Deborah Reese, and Jim Ayers. And remember, 24 hours a day, we're there to serve you at Clark.com and ClarkDeals.com. 